there is a name a name above all others this name has to the endless test of time this name has changed the lives of untold this name is Jesus, and it's Jesus, he's mine. His name lives on and shall live on forever. While kings and kingdoms shall all pass away. his name from history denying all the many many great things he has done I've heard them curse his name and they say there was no Calvary oh but through it all his holy name he lives on his name lives on and shall live on forever while kings and kingdoms shall all pass away he is the lord of all the king of all all others this name has stood the endless test of time praise god this name has changed the lives of untold millions praise god this name it's jesus and it's jesus he's mine his name lives on shall live on forever while kings and kingdoms shall all pass away he is the lord of all the king of all creation the name of jesus is living on Yes, the name of Jesus is living on today. Praise God. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. Oh, I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad. 
That you would be mindful of us. What do you see? It's worth looking our way. We are free in ways that we never should be. of these chains but like in just straining from the weight my heart no longer can keep straining from the oh my heart no longer can keep from singing all oh, that is within oh, me. oh for 
Oh, Lord, you know. Oh, our hearts don't deserve your glory. Oh, but still you show a love we cannot afford. Yes, but like hinges straining from the weight, my heart no longer can keep from singing. Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary, but nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. It's such a tiny offering compared to Calvary, but nevertheless. Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary, but nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. One more time now. Oh, it's such a tiny offering. Oh, compared to Calvary, but nevertheless. Nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. All that is within me cries for you alone. Be glorified, Emmanuel, God with us. My heart sings a brand new song.
of him that I worship and adore him when I can see no way he makes a way and did I mention that he's been faithful to every promise he's ever made me I love him that's all I want to say how many sermons can be preached about this Jesus how many songs have been sung about God's Son oh there are not enough words enough notes in his music to tell the story of what Jesus and he has done. Oh, can I mention that I love him, how I worship and adore him when I can see no filled with his praises one day when sin was as black as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin he dwelt among men my example is he the word became flesh and the light shined among us his glory revealed oh living he loved me dying he saved me and buried he carried my sins far away rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious day Oh, one day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, 
despised and rejected bearing our sins my redeemer is he all oh, the hands that healed nations stretched out on a tree and they took the nails for me oh living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far away and arising he justified freely forever and one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious day yeah oh one day the grave could conceal him no longer one day that stone rolled away from the door and then he arose over death he had conquered and now is ascended my lord evermore no death could not hold him and the grave could not keep him from rising again loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, and rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. Oh, hallelujah, the third verse. Yes, one day the grave could conceal him no longer. And one day that stone rolled away from the door. And then he arose over death he had conquered. And now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. No death could not hold him. And the grave could not keep him from rising again. Oh, living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. And rising he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming, oh glorious day. Oh, glorious day, glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one. My Savior Jesus is mine. Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. And rising, He justified freely forever. And one day, He's coming. Oh, glorious day. Dying, he saved me. Oh, he carried. Oh, 
today I want you to know that we love this this man up here he's been someone that's been here a long time he mentioned my father this morning and I mentioned his father I don't know if some of you remember but his father came here years ago and I think he was in his upper 90s I think Mark said but I just remember his face and his proud look on his face when he watched Mark get up and preach and uh I know they've been through a lot, and I want them to know that this church is always praying for you. And I know how the enemy works. He tries to fight anybody doing anything. If you're doing something for God, the enemy's not going to just sit back and say, well, that's too busy. I won't bother him. No, he'll bother any one of us and any family. And I praise him, though, that God puts something inside that helps us to get up. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. And I praise him for all that he has done. That song came on my heart a couple weeks ago. And I remember asking my granddaughter, I said, what is that song? I can't think of a word in it. But I just remember it was all about what Jesus did at the cross. And she started saying the glorious day. And I thought, you know what? God has put that inside. If you know him today as your Savior, he puts that inside of you. And I praise him for what he's given. I want you to uh, be patient with Mark today, and I want him to have all the time he wants. Amen. And uh, we're going to pray with him after. If those that can hang around at the end, I want you to come up and pray for him and his wife. They're getting ready to go on a mission trip, and they want our prayers. So if you want to be a part of that, come up after he gets done. So we thank you. This is Mark Rosen. Good morning. What a wonderful time of worship. Somebody has a song, singing to one another, hymns, spiritual song, a prophecy, a prayer, gift of service, gifts of giving. Wonderful to be in the house of God. Thank you, Pastor Pruitt, for having me this morning. I want to thank the church, Full Gospel Church, for how you have supported us in our mission for over 25 years, monthly supporting us and blessing us to be a blessing. I'd like you to pray for Pat and I at the end of the service. We'll be in Pakistan next month. Difficult country to be a Christian. In the top 10 most difficult countries. We'll be equipping pastors and pastor seminars. We'll be teaching in a Bible school. We'll be pastors in Fazalabad meeting with and in Lahore, probably about 500 to help equip them to be a witness in a dark place. So we appreciate your prayers after the serv service or at the end, whatever is convenient. We covet your prayers. Thank you for your support. And as we were talking on the phone, Pastor Pruitt said, share what's ever on your heart. And so you're getting a, a first time sharing, a first edition. Not preached elsewhere. It's, it's part testimony, but it's more teaching. 
what I've been through and what I have learned in the last five years, something that has enriched my relationship with the Lord Jesus and with God our Father. I want to talk to you about enlargement through grief. The scripture says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Godly sorrow. Sorrow that comes from God. Producing something that's good. If I had a title, I might call this good grief. That brings somebody to mind for some of us. And there are Bible benefits to godly sorrow. It's important that you know that because we all go through sorrow and grief. We go through loss. It might be the loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, a divorce, a broken relationship with a child, loss of health, financial distress. Loss of health, all kinds of losses that can bring grief and sorrow. And we need to understand what that can produce in our life when it's godly sorrow. You know, for the world, if it's sad, it's bad. And they seek to escape, medicate, avoid at all cost. Maybe drugs, alcohol. Some kind of diversion. But the Bible has a lot to say about good fruit from godly sorrow. What does it look like? What good does it produce? How you and I might cooperate with what God is wanting to do in our life through the sorrow he allows. That we might understand it. That it might be a channel to glorify him, as we sang in the song, when it rains. Because it does, it rains on the just and the unjust. My proposition is God has sorrow. And he allows sorrow into my life, your life, for a redemptive purpose. You might want to circle redemptive purpose, underline it, highlight it. This is our theme God has sorrow, and he does permit it. He allows it. He suffers it. You know, reading the old King James, you come to places where it says suffer, and it's talking about allowing and permitting, right? Jesus is going to be baptized by John. He says, suffer it, permit it for now. Allow it. Endure it. Now, God has sorrows, and he allows them. The first place grief and sorrow is mentioned in the Bible, it's God that's sorry and has grief. In Genesis chapter 6, as the flood is about to come because the world is so wicked, it says, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. One translation says, his heart was full of pain. The imagination of man's heart was evil continually. 
and the earth was filled with violence, and it broke God's heart, like the breaking up of the great depths. And as though God were weeping, a flood of rain washed the earth of its filth. God was so grieved. If I were God, I don't know about you, but I would do what I could to avoid grief. But in these last five years, I've had a look at the sorrow that I've been through, the grief that I've endured, and I begin to see and understand areas of enlargement and a redemptiveness. I'm more in touch with God's pain as the missing ingredient to my valuing life and love. Now just think with me for a minute. God is life. And God is love, right? And because he's love, not because he's something else, he allowed there to be the existence of evil, of rebellion, of saying no to him. You can't have love without freedom. God could have made us like the trees that blow in the wind. He could have made us like the animals that have instinct. But no, he said, I'm going to put my image in them, and they're going to be able to make free choices. Choice to love me, to obey me, or to say no. And we know the story. Eden lost. God's heart broken. I'm more in touch with God's pain. God has suffered for love's sake. God is love. And the first thing Paul says about love in 1 Corinthians 13 is, love suffers long. It bears all. It endures all things. You know, we don't often think of God enduring pain and suffering. Kind of like children growing up where they don't really see or notice necessarily very often the pain of their parents. My daughter, Alicia, she was 11. She said, when your dad died, it was the first time, Dad, I ever saw you cry. So there's many places in Scripture, in verses, that we don't ponder on very long that speak of the pain of God's heart and what he endures. Isaiah 63, verse 9. What a powerful passage. In all their affliction, or in all their suffering, in all their trouble, he was afflicted. He suffered. He was troubled. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them. And he carried them. All the days of old. Mm. My, my, my. You know, sometimes we think God's a spirit. You know, he's non-material. How can he suffer? Well, we're talking about heartfelt pain. Some of you know and some of you have even read a book I wrote titled Blindsided. It was five years ago, my son was studying for the ministry at Wheaton College. 
and he was volunteering with the rest of the soccer team for an event called the Hammer Throw. I got a call on a Saturday, and the detective said, are you sitting down? Your son's been in an accident. I thought, oh, no. First, I thought maybe it was a car accident when I heard it. He said he didn't make it to the hospital. My heart was shattered. A tsunami of grief. Sleep that first night. Remember being on the floor, lying on my face in our entranceway, and my tears falling on the parquet floor. And I said, God, you never allow me to be hurt like this. Why? It wasn't a rhetorical question. It wasn't a question of rebellion. It was wanting to understand the purpose of such grief and such pain. And so my journey began, and I, I, I chronicle it in Blindsided. I, I brought a book. There's some 50 copies. If you're going through grief, there's some loss, sorrow, or someone you know, I'm sure Pastor would be happy for you to get a copy of that. It's my thank you for all the support and love you've shown me. But God chooses to bear the cost of my freedom, your freedom to choose. And God has this capacity to endure grief, great grief. The closer you are in relationship to someone or something that you lose, the greater the grief. I mean, we might hear about people suffering in Africa or flooding that's happening in Pakistan and how many million have lost their homes. But it's only when we know that individual and have a relationship with them that we feel the pain, that we experience the grief. And the closer and the tighter the relationship, the more the grief, more the pain. When we looked at that passage in Isaiah, I had a footnote there from Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I stooped down and I fed them. Ephraim has encircled me with lies. How can I give you up, Ephraim? My heart churns within me. What a picture of God's heart. And again, one of those verses that we don't often ponder that speak of God recoiling in his justice and righteousness with his pity and his mercy in a struggle within God's own heart of grief and pain. As a parent, you may know that. And raising children, I'm sure you've gone through that once or twice. And God teaches us through our children. We're not talking about physical pain, although that can bring sorrow. It was for me, it was a heartfelt pain and loss. And I found a good fruit come out of it. I found also that I, I was not only more in touch with God's pain, I was more honest 
and vulnerable with God and others about how I feel. My wife said to me, wow, you, you've become very open and expressive about how you feel. And I found such relief. At night I would get up and I would be in my lounge and I would just cry before God. And I would feel God put his arms around me. And my tears were like an anesthesia. And I feel God draw close to me to comfort me. I didn't understand why I had to go through. I did not know what it would produce. It was so painful. But I began to see as I read through the psalms, these psalms of lament, where God draws near to the brokenhearted, where David and others lament, they cry, they tell God how they feel, they ask him why. You know, we can pray religious prayers from a distance, but God knows our heart, and the best thing to do is to pour out your heart to God. Don't suppress the grief, express it, get it out. Cast it on to God. God will draw near to you. He does not despise the brokenhearted, a crushed spirit. He knows all about it. In the book of Lamentations, the book of blessed mourning, of great sorrow, Jeremiah's pictures, Jerusalem, the unthinkable has happened has been destroyed, set to fire. The temple, knocked down. And there we picture Jeremiah sitting on the ash heap as a line of captives go into captivity, and he's weeping. And he writes this in the book of Lamentations, very powerful passage. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly, literally, he does not from the heart bring affliction or grief to anyone. There's a tension here. God is so tender hearted. And as I would sit before God at night and felt that comfort. And seeking and, and wanting to understand. Because I knew God could have prevented it. I mean, there were things that, that, that heightened my grief. And wanted me to understand, God, what's your redemptive purpose? In allowing this sorrow into my life. I mean, it was the nature of the accident. I mean, who dies in a hammer throw, right? Paper called it a freak accident. He served a second shift for another boy that should have been on the field. That's when it happened. It was not only that, it was where it happened. It was at a Christian school amongst other believers. It was, it was my son's character. I mean, he was a happy camper. Unusually troubled free. Had the full skill set to be a wonderful minister. He's studying for the ministry. Didn't give me days of trouble at all. So why, Lord? 
This boy would have served you for decades. Ever been there? Though he brings grief. It's not willingly. And there were these elements. And I understood God is sovereign. A little bit later in that same chapter, it says this regarding God. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? We live in an age where we pick and choose what we like from the Bible. But life is such, we need to understand the deep things of God. We need to go beyond just, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And even take that out of context. No, we need to understand the heart of God. In spite how I felt, in spite how things looked, God rules. Not the devil. Although the devil may have been involved in it, and you can be sure he was. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's not chance. It's not man. It's not just free will. God has a purpose. And what I want you to get today, and what I want you to be able to understand, and what I've become more convinced about, is that God only allows sorrow into my life for a redemptive purpose. He will permit it. He will allow it for a greater good that would not have existed otherwise. For something that's useful, beneficial, and helpful for his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. Yes, whether it's Judah going into captivity, or whether it's Job in a cosmic conflict, for Judah, lamentation tells us it was their sin. But for Job, it was something he did right, not something he did wrong. It can be from sin to righteousness that we suffer grief. And oftentimes, for righteousness. But we need to understand. You see, because you can wonder. I remember those early days. God, where did I miss it? Did I open the door to the devil? Is God correcting me for some secret sin? If I would have prayed more, if I would have fasted more, what's on your list? If I had not left Africa, no. The Bible says this, and this was my go-to verse in Romans 8, 28. I would have said this was the verse of my life even before then. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I had seen much in Africa, and that also heightened my question. I had seen much, the AIDS pandemic, upheaval, unusual accidents, but it never come in our house. For 22 years, God had protected us. There are times we should have died on the road. I should have died with my two younger boys one time on the road. It was just an amazing deliverance. God's sovereign, I knew that. I understood that. I had seen him work 
bad things for good. I wrote a book on God's sovereignty during the Zimbabwe crisis when the social upheaval and the economy was in meltdown. We're talking about a dictator, a one-party state, just driving the country into the ground. And Christians praying, all-night prayer meetings, and saying, Pastor, why aren't things changing? Why isn't God listening to our prayers? And you know what I saw, Pastor? God was getting hold of the heart of a nation through that. And they were turning from worshiping their ancestors and brewing beer to, to dead spirits to worshiping God. I had seen God work what was bad for good. But this was now for me and in my house. This was the grand finale. God, how are you going to do this? More eager to cooperate with God's story in my life. Yes, it created in me this desire to understand. You know, C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. When you have a point of pain in your life, get before God. Bear your soul. Lament. Tell him how you feel. Get it out. Receive his comfort. Look for that pearl in your pain. A pastor whose son took his life shared this with me. I'll never forget it. He said, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. Make it redemptive. So I'm more eager to cooperate with God and, 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 and to cooperate with his story in my life. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What eagerness, what earnestness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. I want to see godly qualities in my pain. I don't want it to be wasted. I want it to be, I want to be more earnest, more eager. Indignation. Desire to see justice. Longing. That's godly sorrow. Bible says the world sorrows without hope. Paul talks about worldly sorrow elsewhere. We'll get to that. But it brings us to understanding your story. It's, it's coming to a place where we're more eager to cooperate with God's story in us. With a, with a greater understanding, an intensity, and a sense of purpose. That's what it's meant to do and produce in us. You do. You need to understand the story you're a part of. I mentioned how some people just read the Bible on a surface level. They don't get the plot. They miss the storyline. 
This is a story about suffering before glory. This is a story about going down before going up. This is a story of rags to riches. This is Joseph's story. This is Abraham's story. Grieving, having no child, being sorrowful for, genera- for almost a generation because his wife was childless. It's Jacob. All these things are against me. It's Jesus' sermon on the Emmaus Road where he began to show himself in the law and the prophet. And he summed it up this way. Ought not Christ to have suffered to enter into his glory? See, we're part of this upside-down kingdom. You lose your life, you find it. The last or first. It kind of sounds upside-down. Enlargement through grief, through loss. Yes. That's part of the kingdom we're part of. And that's the story. That's our story. That's his story. You're his story. You need to know the story you're a part of so that when troubles come and difficulties, you're looking for God's purpose, his redemptive purpose. You're looking for the pearl in your pain. Yes. You come to a place, and I mentioned godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. You come to a place of surrender. You surrender to God's redemptive purpose. That's why I wrote Blindsided, and, I, and, and I've become more passionate to fill my days and to live out my days seeing my pain put to purpose, feeling what God feels, not just the joy but also the sorrow. Valuing what God valued, valuing life, showing up every time. You know it takes courage to be vulnerable and to show up. Sometimes as men, we think it's weakness. Women tend to be more courageous emotionally than guys tend to be. It means I'm being more honest and vulnerable. I'm cooperating with that greater intensity, with a fuller understanding. A surrendering to God. That's the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. The difference is in godly sorrow, you continue to hope and trust in God and what you're going through. You, you, you're, you're looking. You're enduring with anticipation. You're going to go through it believing. You're going to draw nearer to God. You're not going to give up. You're going to go on. You're not going to become bitter, as someone said, you're going to become better as a result. Cooperating with God, still loving him. That's the only condition I find in Romans 8, 28. And all things work together for good to those who love God. And love's tested at times, isn't it? I found more helpful answers for from God to my inevitable and useful why questions. I found the people in the Bible from Job to Jeremiah to the prophets to David in the Psalms to Jesus asked the why question. And God answers them. He even told the weeping prophet Jeremiah, captivity 70 years in Babylon. More helpful answers. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He prayed three times about it. It was a great sorrow to him. 
And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul learned about grace. He learned in his weakness, God's strength comes through. He learned through his pain and his weaknesses and his troubles that God would be glorified and magnified. And he got to the point where he says, I even glory in my afflictions. Yes, there's answers. There's what I call generic answers and specific answers. You know, sometimes we look at promises in the Bible. There's promises to specific people. There are generic answers, like for Job. That has applied to a lot of people, but not everybody. Some are suffering because of their sins. And they need to, and it's meant to, bring them to turn, to repent. Yes, there's everything in between. So I say there are generic answers, and those would be, God will work all things together for good, even if you missed him. Just keep loving him. Just acknowledge it. Just keep loving him. There's generic answers like God's purpose is to conform you to Christ. I like to keep it simple in my life. Before Christ, everything that happened in my life was to bring me to Christ. After Christ, everything that happens to conform me to his image, that I be more like him. Those are generics. That's the template. That's the framework of Scripture. But then God has specific answers for people in the Bible concerning Paul's thorn in his flesh. And blindsided, I share the answers God gave me to my greatest loss. I started writing. I didn't know how God would answer me. It was amazing. But they say, don't tell someone the plot of a movie and how it resolves itself if you want them to watch it or if you want them to read the book. But God answered my wife and I in the most profound ways. Things that our son had written to the Lord, things I had written to him. I mean, it was just a tapestry, tangible, had God's fingerprints all over it. And I believe it applies to many young people, that answer, who were serving the Lord, loving the Lord, and they seemed to go early. God has answers even when we don't know what they are. I concede that. Sometimes not in this life, but God still has answers. I'll never forget being in Cairo, Egypt, a group of pastors teaching on God's sovereignty. One of the pastors teaching that God's in control, that he reigns and rules. Pastor, how could, and why would, I mean, God allow Herod to kill all those babies in Bethlehem. Two years and younger, Jeremiah spoke, voice of weeping and crying, wailing and mourning, coming out of Ramah, coming, coming from Bethlehem, Rachel weeping over her beautiful boys because they are no more. And all the students turned and looked. How's a missionary pastor going to answer that? came like a download in an instant. I said, what if God permitted and allowed their infant souls to die? Because I don't see, and this is the first time I ever saw this, first time I ever said it, I don't see anybody in Scripture besides these infants who die in the place of Christ. What if they died in his place that day 
that he might grow up to die upon the cross to redeem the whole world of its sins. And what if that became their eternal glory and their parents' comfort throughout the ages to know their children died in the place of the Christ child and were in a category of all their own. And for eternity, it would be their glory. And all the pastors kind of looked and thought, well, we haven't heard that before. I said to myself, I haven't heard that before either. <laughs> God has answers even when we don't. Paul does use the what if. He says, what if God endured with, there it is again, much long suffering. God suffering with his people. The vessels of wrath, like Pharaoh killing babies, even before Herod, prepared for destruction. What if God is enduring more suffering than the people who are there because he's with them and he's in relationship with them, but he is going to redeem it just like he has his son's death on the cross. Oh, this journey took me, this journey of grief, so much to say, so little time, but growth. Back to uh, our passage in 2 Corinthians 7. I want you to see the context of this. Very powerful, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians where he says in verse 8, even if I caused you sorrow. He talks about I do not regret it. Even though I did regret it, sounds like lamentations, doesn't it, when you read Paul there. Wasn't willing. He said, but I see what this sorrow has produced. And then he lists the qualities that we saw. Very amazing. Yes, godly sorrow leads to a turning within. It leads to something deeper. It's extremely powerful. It causes us to act. At Corinth, it made them turn from being indifferent about sin in the church to mourning over a brother who was in an incest. And taking action. It moved them from rejecting Paul's apostolic authority to accepting it. It moved them from false teachers to true teachers. It caused them to take responsibility. Because Paul wrote a sharp letter to rebuke them and to call them to an account. It was godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. For them, it became godly sorrow. My godly sorrow is held in contrast to worldly sorrow. We've talked about that. I want to take the remaining time and talk about the greatest sorrow. Maybe the greatest sorrow in your life. The greatest sorrow we see in the life of Paul and in the life of our Lord Jesus. Because there are situational sorrows, and I'm sure we could all point out several. For Paul, for example, he talks about his troubles in Asia, pressed beyond measure, despaired of life. Lesson he learned, we might not hope in ourselves. He had a fellow worker who was sick and nearly died. He said, it was going to be sorrow upon sorrow. 
He had persecution. We talked about the thorn in his flesh. He had loneliness, sleeplessness, nights where it was fears within, troubles without. He had many troubles situationally. But then I saw Paul's greatest sorrow. A chapter after, right after Romans 8, 28 and Romans 9, Paul says this. I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Paul was so broken hearted, he had great sorrow and continual grief because he could identify with his countrymen. I was one of them. I rejected Jesus of Nazareth as Messiah. I persecuted the church. I even consented to Stephen's death. He could identify so closely with them. It propelled him. That sorrow motivated him. That grief that he carried caused him to go through everything he went through for his kinsmen, that they might know Christ. Because it was inconceivable to Paul as a Jew that Israel would reject their Messiah. But then he came to understand God's eternal purpose. Yes, blindness in part, and he shares that in Romans 9 through 11. Blindness in part has happened to Israel till the fullness of the Gentiles comes. They will be grafted back in. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn ungodliness from Jacob, and all Israel will be saved. God gave him answers. But what I want you to see, Paul's greatest sorrow propelled him. Yes, you learn in situational sorrow lessons, but this is a driving force we see. And so I want to ask you, what has been your greatest grief and loss? What has been your greatest source of pain? God has a redemptive purpose. He's looking to work good out of whatever it's been. It's been evil. It's been, it's been what the devil has been permitted and allowed to do. What has been your greatest sorrow? Certainly, Jesus had sorrow in his life, situational sorrow. He comes to Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus has been dead four years or for four days. He knows what he's going to do, but he still weeps when he sees the grief and the sorrow. He so identifies it. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Got the longest theology. We're just scratching the surface. Jesus wept knew fully what he was going to do. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, even waited. And now he's there, and he weeps with the mourners. Jesus' greatest sorrow. And this is what I want to get to, and this is what 
And let me, let me read to you from Matthew 26. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I believe the Lord is calling us in these final days to keep watch with him. Paul, we talked about his greatest sorrow. He sums up his lifelong goal in relationship to that sorrow. He says that I might know him. We had the scripture read from Ephesians this morning, to know him better. Paul says that I might know him. And then what does he say after that? In the fellowship of his suffering. Well, like to talk a lot in the American church about suffering but it's all over the New Testament. And Paul says that I might know him in the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death. I find myself I'm preaching more about the death of the Lord Jesus, about his suffering, how God identified with you and I, with our sin, to the point where died of a broken heart. I'm understanding all of life is summed up in the death and resurrection of Christ. And that the sorrow God permits and he allows, he has a redemptive purpose in it. I've been able to minister to people more deeply, more fully than I could before what I went through. In places like Pakistan, in places like Zimbabwe, where they suffer, they like to hear messages on why and how do we go through this and what might God be wanting to do through it. It's the message of the gospel. Yes, God's weakness and folly, more preaching on the resurrection of God's Son as the ultimate revelation of who God is and what he is doing in your life and my life and in our world, in the life of others. More understanding. But aren't you glad our story doesn't end with grief and sorrow? Paul says that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. We know him better through the things we go through. And we will know him, even in this life at times, the resurrection power of Jesus. Paul says that Christ might be magnified in my life, whether through life or death. He says, I don't know whether I'm going now or I'm going to remain. If I remain, it's going to be fruit. But that Christ might be magnified. He says, the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ is greater than all these things. And I do believe this. And I said this at Ethan's memorial service. There were young people. I said, what's happened to my son is an exception. You live your life for the glory of God. You, you, you use all your gifts and your talents for him. You see, God is so wise, so loving, so powerful. He only allows into our life what we can handle. And even the sorrows and losses are tailored by his wisdom and goodness for a redemptive purpose.
shouldn't be any fear or dread. Our last verse, then I want to pray with you, and I want you to pray for Pat and I. Jesus said this to the disciples, very truly I tell you, this is in the upper room, before he goes and dies, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Everlasting joy. Everlasting, unending joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Knowing Christ in the power of his resurrection. If you just close your eyes, I would want to pray for you today. Whatever you're going through, whatever you've been through, whatever sorrow and grief your soul has known, God has a redemptive purpose. He is producing good. He wants you to see what this godly sorrow produces in you. Father, I pray for each one this morning. Whatever they're going through, whatever they've been through, whatever lies in the days ahead, God, we trust you. We trust you, Lord, with our whole heart. Lord, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that's here, both to comfort, to heal, to restore, to help, to strengthen. Lord, you see all the pain. You've known him intimately. You've endured it with them. Put your arms now around each one, Lord, that one that's suffering in their body, that one in their soul where they are struggling with sin and sorrow where there's been failure, where there's been pain. God, you're able to redeem and work all things for good, even our missteps. Lord, I'm praying right now and asking for your sovereign grace to come upon each one today. Just lift your hands right where you're at. Receive from Jesus. That's it. Receive. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your comfort for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that my worst news is being transformed by your good news. From my greatest sorrow and grief to my greatest joy, to pleasures at your right hand forevermore. God, I thank you for how you redeem all things. Do that, I pray, for each one here today in their life. God, help them to show up, to be vulnerable like you've been vulnerable when you hung upon the cross, naked before the multitude. And they spat on you and they mocked you. And they said, come down if you are the Christ, if God will receive him. And you hung there and you suffered the rejection. You came to your own, Lord. 
Your soul was made an offering for our sin. We worship you, Lord. We, we bow before you. Just tell him in your own words what you need to tell him. Of your hand when I'm blind in my way, our Holy Spirit will pray. Have you opened my eyes to the word of your hand? Have you opened my eyes to the work of your hand? Oceans will part, nations come at the whisper of your call. Hope will and suffering may pass Lord your mercy will last as you open my eyes 